Welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. So happy you are here. My goal with this channel is to bring inspirational speakers to the mic in the field of yoga, massage, body work, and beyond. Follow us at Native Yoga and check us out at nativeyogacenter.com. All right, let's begin. Hello, for those of you that are longtime listeners, welcome back. Those of you that are new, welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. I'm really excited to introduce to you Kyle Weger. And Kyle is a handstand coach. He teaches virtually and in person. His website is kyleweger.com. So it's spelled K Y L E W E I G E R.com. You can find him also on Instagram at Kyle Weiger. I'll have the links in the notes below. I got a chance to meet Kyle. He came and taught workshop here at Native Yoga Center around about 2019. And he's a really good coach. He's got incredible, he's got a great ability to, to see where you're at in your practice and to help you progress. And if you're willing to put the time in, as you will hear soon enough when, when you hear it from him, you can do anything. You can pull it off. If you're willing to work really hard, you can, you can make it happen. And also with some good coaching, right? If you get some good tips. So with all that being said, I'm excited for you to hear this conversation. Here we go. I'm super pleased to have Kyle Weger here today. Kyle, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing uh, doing really well. It's a little cold in Denver, but other than that, I am A-OK. Great to hear. I had the pl- uh, pleasure and privilege of hosting one of your handstand workshops at our studio here in Juneau Beach in Florida. I want to say this maybe like, was it 2018 or 2019? No, it was somewhere no, right. It was, it was actually later than that because it was right before the uh, pandemic hit. It, it, it was. was it was. It was like Jan- it was January 2020, I think, because I had you, uh, and then I had one in Naples, and then Asheville, Nashville, and Leesburg, Virginia, on like a eight or six week little thing. And I flew back to Denver, flew back to California, moved to Denver in three days, and then like right as that happened, um, coronavirus hit. So yeah. that. You, do you do that? Do you mark like in your own mental history? Was, <laughs> yeah. this, was this before Corona? Like BC, BC is now going to uh, totally. think about like before Corona. Oh, totally. Yeah. What a huge shift, right? I mean, um, and it's still going. Yeah. Would you still agree? In it. We're still in it. We're still in it. I know there's a lot of different ways to cope with it. And, uh, um, maybe some is through denial and some is through acceptance, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a big, big, big rabbit hole to go down for sure. It's just like everyone's <laughs> had that. Well, it's just, no one's ever been through anything like this before in our generation. I mean, it's happened before in human history, Yeah, but every, everyone's interpretation of the COVID experience has all been unique to them. I agree. I agree. What is something Where's the silver lining that you found? What's what's transition for you now that you have we have enough time to kind of look back over a two year period? Uh, what's something that's positive that's come out of this experience for you? Apart from I, mean, I know we are you know feel sad for those that have that are suffering that have suffered that have passed away right. that have lost a family member. 
So I'm not trying to diminish there that there's that going on, but has anything kind of pushed you to do something new or different? Yeah. So I guess I'll, I'll do a couple like a personal and then business wise. And personally, this whole experience through the pandemic has taught me to not only value my relationships and friendships more, but to also verbalize to mm-hmm. the people that I care about how I feel about them. Mm-hmm. Because you never, like, when you have to go weeks and weeks and weeks without human contact, much like we did in the beginning, um, it really gave me a chance because I live alone. And um, it gave me a chance to, like, really reflect on the friendships in my life and be like, oh, wow, I, I guess I didn't realize how much I love that person and how much I miss them when I'm forced to not see them. Um, so there's the very personal side. Um, I feel like it's made me a softer person um, and being able to, to talk to the people I care about and tell them. And then um, on the, on a business side, I've kind of gotten into doing a lot more virtual teaching, whereas I normally in the past just sold a ton of online courses, which was great. It allowed me to travel the world and go to places like you and teach workshops. But now uh, I am connecting with students in a whole new way. It's not like they just download my course and I never see them. Mm. I actually have zoom calls with people from around the world to coach them on this one, this one unique craft. And so the human connectivity, I guess it's the same thing that I just said about my personal life. My business life has turned much more into personal connection. Awesome. That's, that's cool, man. I, I hear you. That's really amazing. And I, I think, well, this is a good time to segue for <clears throat> listeners to know that you're a, a handstand coach and you teach handstanding and you, you're, I'm going to, I don't know if you're okay with me calling you a handstand master. I know sometimes people maybe shy away from yeah, I, being called well, a master, but, but man, you've mastered I think, it. <laughs> I, I think, I think it's relative to the, the peer group to which you are speaking. Mm. So mm. I, I'm I'm a I'm a good uh, handstand coach for beginners who want to learn a straight line two armed handstand middle of the room no wall I can most likely get you there with you know if we have enough time and um, and time to practice yeah. um, it's interesting though Todd the the the, uh, the rabbit hole on this goes really deep too because when I go train out in like Las Vegas with some Cirque you know my I have a couple of coaches that are in Cirque. When I look at them, I feel like I know very little. Yeah, so it's all yeah. relative to who, you, who you're talking to. So I, I was at a, a quick story. I was at a gym one time in California, and I was just doing my regular handstand routine. And a uh, sweet, sweet older woman came up to me, and she said, excuse me, son. I said, yeah, how can I help you? And she said, are you training for the Olympics? And I just <laughs> lost it. I, my, my heart just <laughs> melted. And I was like, ma'am, I'm a, at the time, you know, I'm a, I'm a 37 year old man with a pretty okay handstand, but <laughs> the order, the order of magnitude between me and an Olympic gymnast is something I couldn't even calculate like in the lifetime. Right. right and right. so, yeah, it's, it's master is relative to who is the, like some students probably look at me and think, wow, that guy's really got it dialed in. Whereas I look at my coaches and probably say the same thing. You know what I mean? That's really cool, Kyle. How long have you been earning a living as a handstand coach? Oh, good question. I don't think I've ever been asked this one before. So I did full-time yoga teaching out in California. Uh, I started in Denver, Colorado, 2012. I quit my job. I built a yoga site because web-based businesses are something that's interested me. Um, So I was teaching yoga full-time at the same time back then, kind of learning a handstand a little bit, like from yoga and gymnastics. And then the, the yoga, uh, 
transition over to handstand probably happened around 2017 when I was in Australia uh, leading a workshop. And I, did, I was a yoga workshop with three parts. It was a yoga, uh, yoga ninja flow, which is something I used to teach, an arm balance and inversions piece on Saturday, and then the handstand workshop on Sunday. And these Australian students had kind of sparked this whole thing where I was leading and they said, Hey, do you have like an online course or any like materials or a YouTube mm-hmm. channel or something? Mm-hmm. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, Oh, I, I'm going to make a handstand course. Yeah. So I did. And because of, you know, what I know about Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff, I was able to sell that course online and it just kept kind of going. And though <laughs> it was, uh, it just, the, the fire kept getting fed because I would get people that would buy my course and that afforded me some money to go pay for trainings. And I would go out to acrobat trainings or circus trainings. Then it just kind of kept rolling. And I'm, I'm a very OCD kind of person. So when I get on something, I really get on it. Yeah. And so I'd yeah. say since about, about late 2017, I've just been doing handstands full time. That's awesome. <clears throat> That's amazing. Do you, what, so you've mentioned the circus world, you mentioned um, the yoga world. Are there, other groups that you interface within this realm of, of handstands, because I, I feel like you're, you're able to go into a yoga studio and you can teach, you know, the handstand to the yoga students. Are you also interfacing like the gymnastics folks? Are there any other areas that I'm not aware of that the Um, handstanding comes into play as well? Totally. So I'm, I'm teaching actually that later this month on the 19th and 20th, I believe, uh, in Birmingham, Alabama at a, uh, gymnastics facility out there. Uh, truth be told, I don't end up or get booked at a lot of gymnastics facilities. It's, it's a nice, even split for me, usually yoga studios or CrossFit mm. studios CrossFit across too. the crowd. Yeah. Well, they, yeah. they handstand because that's part of their sport. Yeah. Um, they do it differently than a yoga person does it and acrobats do it a little differently. So yeah, it's just, it's interesting to see how many different sports or movement modalities like yoga use a handstand as part of their practice. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, I'm thinking what about capoeira? (laughs) Yeah. So I know, yeah, the, a lot of, uh, one of the first gentlemen uh, that I learned handstanding from, um, I went to like a week long intensive that he ran in Las Vegas. He does a lot of capoeira and I have a, a bunch of, you know, my, one of my other first teachers ever, uh, Miguel Santana is Brazilian. And so of course he had him and his brother, I got to hang out with them and they were just going crazy on the capoeira. They knew like all the moves and everything. And, but, and then if you take that away and you look at Miguel, he's like a world-class hand balancer all on his own. Right. But yeah, so there's a lot of different, uh, you could even argue breakdown. Yeah, good right? point. B- yeah, b boys, yeah. b boys have an element. Yeah. It's yeah. not. It's not usually the straight line. You know, two handed handstand. It's usually some other trickery that's not static. Like they're using it as part of a move. Yeah, but um, yeah. So it, it transcends a lot of different things. That's awesome. What's uh, what's like one of the the main questions you always get? Like I feel like uh, one thing I feel in the yoga world, like probably the big one is I don't even know if this is so much a question as it is a statement. I'm not flexible. I can't go to yoga. You know, and you, you you know you hear that over and right. over again in, in your world or with handstanding. What's something that you just keep bumping up, bumping into that you find is either a myth or that you help to dispel? Love or love this question. <laughs> Get the question all the time. So you can handstand. Is that, so is that like mostly core? 
was like, well, it's not nearly as much core mm. as it is wrist and shoulders. Mm. Because you think about it, you're, you're, the weight is going into the wrist, which is in the position is going to be supported by the shoulders. And yet, does your core keep you up? Yes. But it also keeps you up when you're standing upright. It keeps you up when you're walking up a flight of stairs. So it, what's more important in walking, your legs or your core? right to your leg. Yeah. And so it'd be kind of the same thing. Um, don't get me wrong. As you get more advanced, your core is going to come more into play to keep you from falling. Once you can learn how to balance and let's say you're upside down and you make a small mistake uh, yeah. or, or you move, you move without meaning to your core can save you and bring you back to the middle without falling. But in the early stages, I think that's a misconception. Um, wrist and shoulder health come first core mm. is like, yeah, you know, third yeah. on the list or something like that. Gotcha. That's cool. That's a that's an interesting one. I wasn't sure where what your answer was going to be to that. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, that that was that's a big one. And um, trying to think of any others. Um, what about what about know, the, people the, saying they can't do it or they don't think they can do it? Like mm, like handstanding so is great, but I'd never be able to do that. Is that something you feel like just, you're able to dispel that myth with people yeah, often? I just show them a video of my 59 year old mother uh, mm. starting, and then. And now she's now 63, but she can hold like a middle of the room handstand for 30 seconds oh, with yeah. zero, zero athletic background. Um, she had a desk job. Now to something you just said a little bit ago, I'm not flexible. I can't go to yoga. How this translates into handstand world is they say, hey, I'm not in very good shape. I can't do a handstand. Mm. Now, there are certain physics things that do matter when you're putting a large amount of weight into such a small part of the body like the wrist. Yep. What they've what they fail to see or maybe haven't been shown yet is that um, just even the preparation training for handstand, just like the hollow body hold, the plank hold, mm. the, um, the towel slides, the pike walks, the, even just your general warm up and mobility get you in better shape. So while yes, you probably might want to have at least a little bit of um, movement uh, before you start to practice, yeah, you know, I guess I shouldn't say that. I picked up a student with like not a ton of movement background and she's already freestanding middle of the room after a couple of months with me. So um, everybody starts at different points. That's the, I guess the main thing I'm trying to say is that everyone starts their Hanson journey at a different place in their life and fitness level. Yeah, good answer. How do you, so you made mention that you're working with an online course where you're teaching people and um, <clears throat> yeah, I got introduced to you through our mutual friend Sarah Granado and she mm. loves handstanding and uh, she was super excited when I when I told her I reached out to you to, to do this conversation so uh, I'm, uh, I know she'll be pumped to listen but I um, I'm curious is it is it something that like when you go to when you're teaching now and you're teaching via virtually uh, how long, like if someone says, how long is it going to take for me to learn this? And I know that's like such a hard question to answer because impossible. Because yeah. Until you know what their, their fitness level is and their, their body. But like say in this, in the case of your mom, how long, how hard did she have to practice to get to the point where she's doing what she's doing? Yeah. So, um, let me, I'll, I'll touch on my mom in a second, but I'll give you my general like formula. When people ask how long is it going to take, <laughs> there's a few factors, right? Yeah. There's con no, the number one factor of all of skill acquisition is consistency of training. How consistent can you be over a long period of time? Are you training once a week or four times a week? Because the four times a week student will probably progress four times faster. Um, and also uh, along with consistency slash frequency, um, what's the quality of your training? Uh, like the load, the volume, are you training for 
10 minutes once a week or you're training for an hour and a half four days a week so there's mm. like how, how many reps am I putting in yeah. and this is all because you're, you're trying to teach your nervous system a skill and it only learns through repetition the other piece of this is coaching which is what I would highly recommend anyone listening to this consider I wasted or not wasted but I could have shaved years off of my learning curve had I just went and gotten coaching right away um, from a, a another person, an outside set of eyes that can watch my form, that can watch my movement, give me feedback. Um, so those are like my big ones. You know, do you, um, do you train often? Mm-hmm. And when you train, what's the quality of the training? Um, and are you good at taking coaching guidance and feedback? Because if you are, you can really shorten the learning curve. Now, my mom had, like I said, very little movement background. When I launched that yoga site, she would, uh, she was my first customer, by the way, on, uh, on every product <laughs> I've ever launched. She, she, she demands <laughs> to be the first customer. Um, and That's so awesome. she had been doing like probably, she was never into yoga, but she's like, all right, my son's now a yoga teacher. I want to understand his world. I want to dive into this. And so she started doing three or four online vinyasa classes from my site, like every week, right? Three, three, four, yeah. five classes. She just loved it. And, um, she would, she had been working on some headstand stuff. It wasn't going like super well, but she was trying and she was, and she, I could see her like getting stronger in the yeah. videos. Yeah. And so when I kicked, kicked off the handstand course again, first customer and the first go around of the six weeks, she didn't get it right. It was, mm-hmm. She was just learning how to kick. Yeah. Um, but then she started at 59 and then she got serious about it. And she's like, oh, my mom's a very determined uh-huh. woman, which is yeah. where, where I yeah. think I get some of that. So, yeah. um, to get from, she's been practicing for about four years and in four years, 30 second freestanding hold and her practice waxes and wanes. Cause it's like handstand is my job. It's not her job. She yeah. has a regular life, yeah. you know? So yeah. I've seen people get it in as short as four weeks, but they are, they came into the equation with a pretty good athletic background and then yeah. they just worked really hard. Yeah. I've seen people take a lot longer. Yeah, that's cool. That's amazing. That's super inspirational. I love the fact that your mom is so eager to support you and right oh, off great. right off the bat be like, All right, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. <laughs> that's right. Really- as as a parent as a parent, I'm a, I'm not a parent, but I can only imagine my mom sitting there and you know, she's super supportive of me in every decision I make. I think she figured out a long time ago that I don't do desk jobs very well. And um I can only imagine like as a parent, like, Oh, you're going to, you're going to what? You're going to be a handstand coach. <laughs> yeah. that's, not, that's not a doctor or <laughs> dentist or lawyer. That doesn't seem very secure, but, um, she, she never had any doubt. I was just, I think I made that up in my head, but she never had any doubt that I would be successful in, in what I do. Oh, that's amazing. That's cool, man. I'm super curious if you can explain some of the details and differences between, the yoga handstand and an acrobat's handstand. Are there different shoulder placements? Like I, mm-hmm. I, I know you've made mention about, you know, like really pressing your shoulders as high away from your body as possible. So if you're upside down, like trying to lift your body or push your body away from the ground as far as possible. And sometimes in the yoga pictures, when we study people doing handstands, it looks as if they're depressing or drawing their shoulder blades down their back and kind of going more broad across the shoulders. What are your thoughts on these different ways of actually manipulating the shoulders in a handstand? Yeah. So I guess my, you're getting, 
the more seasoned 2022 Kyle versus the 2000, <laughs> right. 2007, 2017 Kyle. Good, where I was very good. dogmatic, very, very dogmatic. Like there's only one way to do it. Um, however, I'll say this. So yoga, typically you'll, one of the things I see in a lot of yoga handstanders versus uh, acrobatic style of handstand is hand placement. Mm. Yoga tends to be wider because where do most yogis kick up to handstand from? Down dog. Like mm. that's the starting position. Yeah. Um, acrobats, however, bring their hands in a little bit closer. So the arms look, um, like the letter, like two sticks next to one another mm. versus uh, yoga. They make more of an a frame. Mm. Um, I like the close grip because it allows me to stack my bones. And one thing that people who want to stay up for longer realize very quickly is that muscles fatigue bones do not. Mm. And that is the best way I can word that. Um, also in yoga, yoga is, well, I'll break down three here. Yoga is a practice. Um, it is an eight limbed path. One of those limbs is asana or physical, um, within even the one limb of asana, there are hundreds, if not thousands of variations of poses. And in one of those is a, one of those poses is a handstand. Yes. Right. So it's a small part of a very large practice. It's, so it's a practice. I, if I get my handstand today, great. If not, no big deal. I can roll up my mat and I'm going to come to class tomorrow and I can practice again. Yep. Um, gymnastics is a competition where you don't have to be perfect, but you do need to be better than the next dude if you want to win. Yeah. So there's a competition element. When you look at acrobatics, now, now you're going into the world of performance mm. where perfection is almost demanded. Mm. Like if you look at the ballet, they don't make a lot of mistakes. You know what I mean? Yep. And so yep. the acrobats aesthetic and their lines tend to be a little bit better. Um, now the scapular question, Todd love the scapular question because yoga is a very spinal extension friendly practice. So the back bend, the, the broadening of the shoulders across the chest and then leaning back into like a big, you know, heart opening type of back bend. Yeah. Um, that doesn't really work as well or as efficiently in a handstand, again, if you're holding for long periods of time yeah. uh, or if you want to do tricks or one arms or, you know, whatever. Um, so the, the shoulder position is different. Um, yogis tend to look a little bit forward in their gaze. Whereas, uh, uh, I, I look down just straight in between my thumbs. Sometimes I don't even look at the ground. I pull my head through just to get even straighter. Mm. So, but then again, yoga has like, Scorpion is a big pose, right? People yeah. want their scorpion. They want yeah. the foot-to-head scorpion pose. Yeah. Um, so that's a big back end there. I would say the most common misalignment anatomically that I see is there um, is in, and this doesn't go for everyone, but this just goes in general what I've seen coaching. Yoga people tend to have a little bit more of a closed angle in the shoulder, and that means that something else has to rebalance upward in the body and it's usually mm. a break in what's called the thoracolumbar junction which means they have the, the quote-unquote dreaded banana back right because yep. yeah. um, the banana back is just a result of your shoulder being out of position if you can mm. straighten up your shoulder then mm. it's really easy to straighten up the rest of your body nice yeah good point i've been called banana back before quite a few times here's <laughs> the deal. It's, it's a learning curve that literally everyone has to go through i don't care if you started when you were 59 like my mom if you're started in your like mid 30s like me or if you started yeah. as a child yeah everyone when you learn to balance you can't achieve like this awesome straight line right away like there's it's a learning curve that you can't 
skip. Yeah. So yeah. banana, banana back is part of it. <laughs> if you're asked the question, why Kyle, should I learn to handstand? What would your oh. response be? What no, would- you shouldn't. You, you absolutely shouldn't. <laughs> the, 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 the return on investment, your ROI on handstand is terrible. Absolute terrible. Because you invest hours, days, weeks, months for a few seconds of wobbly balance. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, I say that jokingly, but I, I think I'll, you know, it's a great physical challenge. If I'm going to be real with the answer that the physical uh, challenge of handstand is one thing. Can you set your mind to something, put in the work, see it through to the end, and then get to this, this goal that you wanted? I have this one student out of the UK named Maddie that um, she does like a dance on our calls. Every time she hits a new milestone, she comes down, she has like this little happy dance. I'm like that dance right there, that little five second dance you did matters way more to me <laughs> than the fact that you just got, you know, an eight second freestanding balance. Um, so it is a vehicle for growth. It is a vehicle for change. Um, nice. If you train it, if you train it, you will get it. Um, yeah. But the, the things you learn along the way are super important. So yeah. how do you, how do you deal with frustration? How do you deal with not being good at something right away? How do you, how do you deal with putting in a, a good solid hour of practice and you still feel completely useless, right? Mm-hmm. Like how do you deal with those things? That for me is probably the bigger gift that you're going to get out of handstand training. Once you hit your handstand, you shouldn't really be that surprised because it mm-hmm. did take you a long time to get there. So, but yeah, when people are like, what's the benefit of, of handstand? I was like, well, if you like wasting a ton of time and falling <laughs> down a bunch, this is your sport. But if you're not ready to do those things, you might not be ready for this. Yeah. I hear you. Great answer. I agree. Is I, I feel like handstand personally in watching and seeing someone do them and always having this sort of uh, <clears throat> uh, loop in my mind of like, well, that's great. They can do it, but I'll never be able to do it. That's great. They can do it, but I'll never be able to do it. And then, you know, seeing someone do it and then finally making that switch to going, oh, I really want to learn how to do that. So I agree with you. The time where I finally was able to stick a handstand, there's that moment of like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't, is this actually happening? And of course you fall that moment that you're so excited that you, you've actually totally. nailed it. But um, it's uh, it is such an incredible growth practice and growth process. So I would agree with you on all that. That's cool. Kyle is, um, I'm sorry. Oh yeah. I was going to say, you know, the, the, when you, this is something I run into as a coach all the time and you as a fellow teacher run into it all the time. When someone can do the handstand or the, the big pose in yoga or whatever. And that's the first reaction people have. It's like, Oh, that's good for them that they can do that, but I'll never be able to do that. Um, the question I always ask back is like, have you tried Mm. have you have you tried um for example just putting your hands on the ground and kicking up like six inches off the ground and, and landing softly have you tried that because most bodies can do that so if you can get them what what people or why people have that mindset is w- because what they look at todd is final product mm. they look at the mm. full handstand and that that person in yoga who can just easily and effortlessly press up, you know, straddle press. It looks amazing. And then they come down and they float like a, you know, angel back to the ground. And that's what the people in yoga class see. What they don't see is how many times that person has fallen mm. flat on their face. How many times they've kicked up into banana back handstand, mm-hmm. how many times they've, they've come crashing down. Um, and so if, if you were to show them the highlight reel 
of yeah. be like, hey, do you think yeah. you can kick up yeah. with bad form and fall down a bunch? Okay, right. cool. If you can do that, then we can get you to the final product. But when they look at the the bigger, more impressive things, yeah, they don't point. see the work the work that went into it. You know, right? Good point. Yeah. How do you or have you managed injury over the years? Oh, good one. Um, so I used to be, I used to practice very aggressively, train really aggressively, pulled a groin once, pulled a hamstring a couple of times, uh, low back, uh, from too much, uh, lifting. And, um, you know, it, I have been like way more, um, I would say apt to prehabilitate and I take way more time these days with my warm up, my wrist and shoulder health, tons of stretching, tons of mobility work. I'm, I'm working on right now doing a lot of strengthening of my muscles around the important joints. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll give a good example of an injury that I had and how I managed it. So I tore uh, a groin um, when I was, I was doing something stupid for Instagram. I was trying to do a straddle handstand with two kettlebells hanging off my feet. And I had never done this before, so I didn't really gauge <laughs> how much weight would be too much weight. And then I was at a gym, and I had this girl put a kettlebell on one foot and a kettlebell on the other foot, and I immediately <laughs> came down. And I was like, oh, that was too much weight. That was definitely too much weight. Oh. And so I, for the next month, I couldn't sit in a, a seated straddle. Middle Ooh. split practice was out of the question. Um, so I said, all right, well, this sucks. This is an injury. Um, what can I do? So that month, I got really good at tuck. Tuck handstand, both mm. legs in, zero straddle. It had mm-hmm. caused zero pain. I still found ways to practice. Um, that's not all. You won't always be able to do that depending on the severity of the injury. But I did find ways to modify my practice. Yeah. Um, and what you learn after getting enough injuries is, hey, man, don't do the thing that caused you the injury. Good so, point. like, uh, good yeah, I don't really deadlift. Yeah. I don't really deadlift anymore, even though I know it's good for me. But my body continues to tell me over and over and over through this like low back injury. Hey Kyle, maybe you shouldn't pick up 200 pounds or 250 pounds off the ground and set it back down. And that's not even that heavy of a deadlift, but for me, it's, you know, everything. So, um, yeah, so I just, I just, I eliminated that activity from what I put my body through. Good answer. Did you use a word? I don't know if I heard you right. Did you say prehabilitate? Yeah, I would rather. That was a cool, that was a good combo of what re rehab but prehab, prehabilitate. Did you make that up or is that a word that's going on out there? Oh no, that's not my, that's not my word at all. I haven't heard that that. word yet. Yeah, I got that when back in my gymnastics days, we we had a uh, class at um, this gym here in Denver that used to exist called shoulder prehab. Prehab. And so, yeah, it wasn't a handstand class. It was just like how to get your shoulders nice and mobile and strong. So I I always tell people this, I would rather prehabilitate a healthy joint than have to rehabilitate an injury. Yeah. Right. Just put yourself in, put yourself in a position, put yourself in a position where you're not, where you're not stressing the body past, um, it's, it's injury, you know, apex or precipice. Yeah. That's cool, man. I love learning new words. I got to use that now. (laughs) And then another thought that just popped in my head when you were mentioning, uh, trying to, to accomplish a move for Instagram and getting injured. Cause I've, I've done this myself. This was a few years ago, but I found myself kind of like, Oh my gosh, look what they're doing. Look what they're doing. I got to try to do right. this and try to keep up with that. And, um, and it's hit, you know, getting injured and, and realizing, well, I need to back off. Um, what is your, what are your thoughts? I mean, 
nowadays obviously we are, we we're getting older do you do you still feel that realm to try to keep up on the social media instagram no. like flashy side of things i'm not saying that you know derogatorily but just more like right, curious right. out of what where where are you at with all that nowadays good question so back in the day i used to be like i would just post a million handstand things of like look at these skills i can do i think it was just kind of new and seeking validation and wanting people to like recognize me and be like, Oh, see Kyle is a good handstander or whatever. Now I would much rather, it would be way more of a feather in my cap. Uh, when someone says, Hey, this guy's a really good coach. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, this guy, this mm-hmm. guy is really powerful at leading people through, through, you know, a beginner handstand practice. Mm-hmm. Um, that for me is a lot better of a compliment. So what yeah. you'll see on my Instagram 2021 and 22 versus 2017 and 18 is it used to be like photo shoots. Look what I can do, all this stuff. Um, now it's just, and I occasionally still do photo shoots, but uh, uh, it's more like, hey, here's my three best drills for using a wall if you're, if you're a beginner. Mm. Um, I'm now out there. I, and by the way, my practice really isn't that flashy these days. I've been like working on one arm for so long and anyone who's even attempted the path of one arm handstand knows it's not very sexy. It's just really boring. And it's just, my practice is pretty much the same. <laughs> every single day, you know, and, um, so on, on Insta, you know, I built a little bit of a following there and that's where I recruit a lot of people that come do my programs or they like my coaching style, but yeah, I'm not out there trying to impress anyone with my, you know, um, flashy posts of the, the flashiest thing I do these days is probably like some leg work and choreography things I'm working on just to kind of slow down. I hear ya. It seems like some advice that I continue to get is that almost the more simple we keep our instruction on that level, the more appealing it might be to people as opposed to, like you said, showing the stuff that's impossible for anybody to do. Do you find that that's, that's, I mean, it seems like you've, you've made that point, but. Yeah, no, you, you hit the nail on the head and that's, I mean, you said the same thing, just using better words. Um, (laughs) if, If you, if you post the impossible trick, Right. Uh, or something that's super high level and not that I'm high level. I'm very, I always call myself, I'm like an advanced beginner where I go, like in the, in the circus, like if I go train there. Yeah. Um, but what I would encourage uh, coaches out there to consider is like your students don't care nearly as much about what you can do, you know, in terms of oohs and ahs, as much as they care about how much you can help them get to their personal goals. Mm. That's good. Advice. If you can get, yeah. if you can give them, tips, tricks, drills, skills, whatever it is, um, to get them further along their journey, that's what they're going to remember. They're not going to remember like, oh, Kyle can do, you know, a, a, can tuck his head through in a handstand and pull his legs down at the same time or whatever. Like they don't really, that doesn't resonate with them as much as their own personal experience of handstand and how it relates to your coaching does. Yeah, great point. That's important to hear. Um, I'm also curious about... You have like from watching you with the way that you've been able to market your workshops before you arrived here to teach. I was just, I was just like, how did you do that? You know, you you figured out a way to kind of work the advertising element with uh, social media to where then a bunch of people showed up, you know, and, and I I Mm -hmm. hardly, I hardly did much marketing and the marketing (laughs) you did worked. And, and I was like, man, Kyle's got some skill in this. This is really cool to watch. And I feel like in the, uh, in BC before coronavirus, a, a right. lot of, a lot of us as either gym folk, yoga folk, uh, that were going into spaces, there was this idea that doing something virtually 
was sounded cool, but it just seemed like a lot of people were hesitant to get on a Zoom call. They were like, I could never do that. I would never do it. I don't want to be mm-hmm. at home. I want to be in a room with people and I want it to you know, have that experience. And so it seemed all, almost like, um, like I was always intrigued and I thought that looks so amazing. But I don't, again, maybe that negative loop of saying, okay, I couldn't do that. Everyone else seems to be able to, but I can't. And then the uh, post BC is like, there's a lot more push to developing online coaching, online teaching, online uh, everything. Um, What's some advice that you would give a budding or up and coming uh, teacher of whatever our skill is to, to feel confident that we can do it, that it's possible to develop a lucrative um, business with bringing our art or skill into the online world? Yeah, a couple things here. So I, number one, um, am not a developer. I don't speak any form of code. I, some days I feel like I can barely tie my own shoes, Todd. Um, but I, you know, I don't have that technical ability. Okay. I, I shot my entire course, in fact, all, all of them, on an iPhone. Mm. Um, I had a little you know, not so great tripod. And I, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a software guy. I'm, I'm good at digital marketing, but I'm super hacky. Like I don't, you know, the most technical thing I know about is Facebook advertising. And that's not even, you know, I didn't write that algorithm or anything, but yeah. um, so there's that. There is also, and I made a good business out of, you know, a, a course I filmed on an iPod and a little bit of grit and determination. Also, even if you think you're not tech savvy, you can become tech savvy. You, I mean, think about everything you currently know how to do. You were once unable to do it. I just made the choice to go learn yeah. some of these higher level things. Um, granted, I had built a website before, but it was on WordPress. Again, no coding, no nothing. I just went and learned WordPress. Yeah. My, my business partner often refers to my skills. He's like, he always calls them street skills. Like I didn't go to school for them, but I learned them on the street yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, so there's that, there's that piece. You can learn anything technical. It, once you decide, and it is, it, you have to choose it. That's a big part that a lot of people miss. Mm. You have to choose the life that you want or else it will get chosen for you. You'll, mm. you'll be living someone else's dream if you're not living your own. And so you have to choose it and say, all right, well, as long as I'm choosing this, I'm willing to put in whatever it takes to be successful here. Um, and then the other part is removing the doubt. Everyone mm. starts with imposter syndrome. Absolutely everyone starts with that, and that's a totally normal thing. Um, but you got to think. I'm not the world's best hand stander. I'm not even top 10,000, right? Um, but I am a good coach, and people like the way that I approach delivering the content. Mm-hmm. And to any teacher listening to this, there's a group of people out there that are waiting to learn from you. They just don't know it yet because you haven't put out the content. Mm-hmm. So your your voice is different. The way you present is different. The um, the way you interpret your um, your skill or your niche or the way you you think about it philosophically is going to be different than the person next to you. And there, you, you might not know this, but there's a group of people out there waiting to fall in love with you. Mm. Nice. So I would say, yeah, those are my, those are my big ones. Awesome. Learn the, learn the online stuff. That part's actually easy once you make up your mind, but yeah. you have to make up your mind first and then just know that like when I made my first sale, that wasn't my mother. <laughs> I was through the roof, <laughs> yeah. through the roof excited. Cause yeah. I was like, Oh my God, a person on the internet bought the thing that I made to sell on the internet. That was all the proof I needed. 
that was all the proof I needed that I can, I can make this thing work. And then that motivated me even further. That's awesome. Yeah. I appreciate that. I think, I think that's great advice. I, I'm curious, you had pre-recorded content. Are you, mm-hmm. have you, what is your, what are you learning through using like live or like coaching through a zoom slash interacting with people on the one-on-one versus like the pre-recorded content? Have you made any sort of shifts there or any realizations mm-hmm. or learned anything in that department? Yes, I've learned a ton because I've, I have, you know, 8,000 plus members on my site that have purchased something at some price point in the last four years. Mm. And I have software that will tell me the completion rates on my course. And they're, they're never as high as I want them. Like people buy the course, they get started and life happens and jobs and family get in the way of, you know, the, the thing they set out to do. And it's interesting the watching the completion rates on the course versus the people that sign up for my monthly, I have a subscription model called the handstand inner circle. The people that pay to be part of that, they almost never miss a call. Mm. And it's the, the only difference, it's the same material, it's the same content, content. The only difference is the human connection. Mm. Now, when someone does my course, sure, they get to hear me, listen to me, see the video, but I'm not in the room with them. I'm not there watching them yeah. like I would be on a Zoom call where I can yeah. see people move and I can give in the moment corrections. And what I'm finding is that for me, there's this like hybrid model that really, really works. I, I'm, gonna, I'm doing it coming up here um, in February and March where I take the course that I've already built. That's like your baseline homework. That's the study guide. Yeah. And then I, I pair that with two live calls a week for six weeks. And we do six weeks to handstand the live edition. And that for me has been just a game changer in not only the way I think about the future of my business, but um, provided me a creative outlet. So instead of just, turning on the old Facebook ads and letting the courses sell. I'm not going to lie. It was really fun. And it got a little, I hate to say boring because it is my business. I love my business, but it did get a little boring. Like, man, I'm not really talking to anyone. I'm yeah. just kind of over here floating around. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Did you say that um, there was a, was there a shift in the way the Facebook ads um, worked? That's changed. That's caused is something different. What, what, what's, what's, what's different? Uh, it was, it was the iOS 14.5 update and you've probably seen on a lot of your apps where you can opt out of, um, you know, um, people tracking and that uh, is what Facebook, and there's been movies made about this, like that yeah. Facebook knew exactly when to show you my advertisement. They knew exactly based on your previous Facebook activity plus yeah. other internet related things. Yeah. They could, they could show you a ad for a Hanson course at the, just the right time. And you'd be like, you know what? I've been wanting to learn handstand. This guy looks okay. I'll buy this course. Mm. And so when when that all went away, you saw Facebook advertisers pretty much just run for the hills. Everyone abandoned ship and found new um, new methods to reach people. And although it was a bit of a blow to the bottom line of my business, I don't mind it because now I'm in this new realm of it's not just selling an online course. It's mm. giving someone an experience that will change their their lives. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's cool, man. I see that. That's amazing. All right. Good advice. Um, so I'm more just trying to figure here. What, uh, can you give me an idea of where, where do you, where, where do you see moving forward? Are are you, do you want to stay in the realm of coaching the handstand or are you thinking I'm, I'm, I'm going to 
keep this going for a long time or do you yeah uh, do i you mean have, yeah this is a good question yeah 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 i love the uh, you know right now i'm for 2022 it's going to be handstands continuing what i'm getting from these these groups that i'm running plus my subscription model the, the inner circle is that what i'm seeing is this community that i've uh, built mm. that all is centered around the handstand can be so much more and we have a really cool group um, and we're all becoming like, sure, we get together on the Zoom calls and train together, but we're becoming like friends. Yeah. And I want yeah. to do more live, live events, smaller events with, um, you know, my, my inner circle people. Um, one thing that has always been on, and I did a little bit of this during the pandemic because it was necessary, um, is business coaching. Because pe- when the pandemic hit, people, hit, my phone was quite busy. Um, with people being like, dude, my yoga studio is shut down. I need to yeah. figure out how to film and yeah. get an online, you know, thing going. Yeah. Or, you know, hey man, I, I see you built this course. What do you? How did you build it? What tools do you use? Yeah. And my my partner and I, um, I say partner. He's the, we just we're basically like business married. We've done so many projects together. We just can't <laughs> yeah. get away from each other. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's he's the technical design development brain. I'm the I'm the sales and marketing and social media brain. We, he and I are just constantly kicking around these ideas of like, do we start like a business mastermind for young budding entrepreneurs who want to get online with course based selling or group, you know, high ticket group items. So that is, has always been a passion of mine or something I've, I've wanted to explore. So that would, if anything, that would be the next thing. That's really cool. I mean, I think that that would be a extremely logical progression. That's something that I'm very interested in and curious about. So I would, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, oh, it, what, one thing I wanted to, I'm going to jump back like three questions. Please, aside, cause I forgot, please. I forgot one thing. Um, when you ask to anyone new that's getting started and I mentioned, you know, get the technical, make, make the choice. Um, the, the other thing that would go along with that is I, one myth I hear or one thing that I think is misworded oftentimes around business is people say, well, no one would buy my product because I'm so niche. I have such a niche skill. I can Mm. never make a business out Mm. of it. And to that, I say, I am a full-time, full-time handstand coach. Like let that sink in. That's an absurd thing to say. (laughs) If you actually think about it, right? Like this, it's my full-time job and I made a job out of it just by choosing it. And I just forced the issue that I'm not going to give up on this thing. And until I'm successful, like plan a is be a smashing success. Plan B is refer to plan a. There (laughs) is no plan B. (laughs) Yes. I hear ya. I hear ya. Uh, That that's awesome. Do you feel, do you think that, in the advice realm that the more you niche down or niche in that, that is going to bring you toward that level of success. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. Getting extremely, like, getting extremely focused on a, on a very specific thing. Well, yeah, I've niched down. I was a yoga teacher, taught a lot of just general vinyasa classes. Yeah. I had a bit of an affinity for arm balances. So I found myself like getting invited to festivals to teach arm balance workshops or going to studios for arm balance workshops. And then I found within the niche of uh, arm balances and inversions, I just really liked the handstand. And then I kept training handstand, handstand, handstand. Now I'm niched down even further within that. Like 
I am a handstand coach, but I am not a circus coach. I'm not to that level. I'm a yeah. handstand coach, yeah. but I'm not an Olympic gymnast. Yeah. So I am, when people ask me what I do, I say my specialty is teaching adult beginners how to do a basic two-handed handstand. And the people, when they hear that, they're like, oh, this guy specializes in this? This is, his, this is all he yeah. does? Yeah. They are more than happy to attend a workshop because they're like, I, I'm built for them. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome, Kyle. I hear you. That's a great point. Do, in terms of the surface that you practice on, so beach sand, grass, and wood, <laughs> wood floor, um, your thoughts? Yeah, so this is just the physics equation, right? So when, when I'm standing on something, I weigh 161 pounds. When I'm standing on my floor, as I am now, that floor has to push back up on me with 161 pounds. If there's any difference in those two things, I sink, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, when I practice, uh, I, I practice like at my CrossFit gym with super hard rubber, um, or I'll use a wooden box that I jump up on. Um, I started off on, I mean, you should be able to handstand on any surface, hopefully, but, um, sand is difficult, right? Because your hand constantly has to recalibrate. Same with grass. So yeah. I typically say harder surfaces are better. So if I'm at the front of my yoga mat and I want a handstand, I don't put my hands on the yoga mat. I'll reach them a few inches forward onto the, usually the hardwood mm. of the studio floor. Yeah. Um, funny story. So we, uh, back in 2019 or early 2020, I did a photo shoot. Um, the CBD company had reached out like, Hey man, we want to do a handstand shoot with you because we have this CBD product called a balance. And we think it'd be really cool if, um, if, you know, the ad was a guy doing handstands, all, you know, obviously balancing. And I said, this sounds amazing. I can't wait to do the commercial and the photo shoot and all that. I said, where are we doing it? And they said, Oh, epic shoot. going to do it at sunset in the Imperial desert. <laughs> and I said, I said, desert, <laughs> you mean with all the sand? Yeah. And, uh, they're like, Oh yeah, we didn't think about that. And so, uh, we, I brought a board, uh, my handstand board, and, you know, I slid it underneath the sand and then threw a bunch of sand on top of it. So it yeah. looks like I'm at the, the peak yeah. of the, the sand dune. But uh, really, I mean, it's, it's just harder. So yeah. if you're going to train uh, regularly, make sure most of your practices happen on, on a harder surface. Cool. To use the wall or not use the wall? Ooh, good question. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Use the wall. Now this one comes with an asterisk beside it. Um, don't just kick up and flail your body and slam into the wall out of control. Now <laughs> I'm getting much more deliberate about the idea of don't kick to the wall. I don't know if I like that language. One thing I, I am moving more towards is use the wall to give you pieces of information. So mm. if I kick up and I can hear my foot slam against the wall, the piece of information I got is that I kicked too hard. And if the wall was there, I would not have stopped in a handstand. In fact, it would have went far over. So one thing that's important to consider is how to use the wall. There's, oh, if you just kick up, feet go really past your shoulders, your banana back, and you know, 50% of your weight is on the wall and 50 is in your hands. That's probably a less than efficient way to use a wall versus, yeah, yeah. Um, I, have a, I have a number of drills in my online program that show you how to touch the wall softly, use it in a way that actually stacks your hips over your shoulders, over your wrists. And so much like anything, it is subjective to the how. That's why I say there's a, there's a little asterisk next to the wall or no wall. Nice. 
another this or that question. <clears throat> uh, okay. I like these rapid fire, pretty rapid fire, this or that. Middle finger forward or turned out slightly index finger forward? Okay, I for the shape of my hand, I go index finger forward. That was how I learned it. It's the position that my hand likes. Um, I know I have a good friend who is a hand balancer who puts their middle finger forward. Now, I would say middle finger would probably be the farthest you would go. Um, if you have ring finger or pinky forward, you are going into very uh, large amounts of internal rotation, which mm. the humeral head is not going to like once you're load bearing in a handstand. Mm. So for me, it's index finger forward, and my index fingers are parallel, and that is how I measure the width of my hands when I put them on the ground. Yeah. Good. Good answer. Um, to, to use blocks or not, like I see, like I go down to South Beach in Miami and people are on these like cool looking blocks up on top of metal, <laughs> like off the yeah, ground. What, what's that all about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're called canes, uh, hand balancing canes or handstand canes. All right. Um, so you can, like this morning I was using blocks on the ground, just the little wooden handstand blocks, much different than a yoga block. They're a lot smaller. They're yeah. usually made of wood rather than cork or foam. Um, I was using them this morning. They're great for drills, for, for stacking. Um, the canes are more like a fun toy. You see a lot of performers uh, do the acts on canes because it's more impressive if you can do a handstand higher. Um, but most of the tricks that they could do on canes, they could easily uh, do uh, on the ground. Some of canes wobble a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and not, I couldn't say easily do on the ground. They could just as easily do on the ground. It would be just as impressive to anyone who understands handstanding, but because they do them high in the air on these like 20 inch or, you know, two foot canes, it adds a little bit of pizzazz, I guess. Um, training on training with blocks is really great. Um, especially towards the end of your practice. If your wrists are just destroyed, um, from being on flat ground, um, you can relieve a little bit of pressure by start practicing on blocks. And yeah. so I, yeah. I, I think you should be able to, or I, I would like to be able to say that I can do every single thing I can do on all three. I can do on the ground. I can do it on blocks. I can mm. do it on canes. Yeah. Um, that's not necessarily true for me. And that's my, where my skill level is right now. But um, I, yeah, practice on all of them. Give it a go. Like this, this whole thing is, is meant to be fun. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. And so there's, there's some fun in getting elevated. You brought up a good point when I got a chance to practice with you that in terms of the pike press up and like mm -hmm. a straddle press up, I've, if I remember correctly, you mentioned that the amount of, if you put all of your effort into the lift, then when you're there, you have less energy to actually hold it. And you'd made mention of like the idea of getting up easier and then putting the energy that you would have expended into the actual lifting process into putting that into mm -hmm. the energy of holding it in the actual, and like maybe even refining, like you said, dropping your head down, stretching your shoulders out, getting your body straight. What, what are your thoughts there? Are you still on that same page or? You know, as I, as I, you know, those two years ago and I've had two years of coaching and training and um, learning in that process. So my, as a, any good coach will probably, shift their ideas as they learn more or become more open to ideas. Mm. Um, there's never just one way to do things, right? So right. when, when I look at the press, is it mechanically? And at the time that I was teaching that, um, my press has gotten a lot more efficient these days because I can fold forward better. And what I've seen is there are some students who prefer the press 
um, because they can just fold forward so deeply that all they really have to do is lean forward like mm. a couple of inches mm. and then their feet come off and that's efficient for them. Yeah. To the, the meat and potatoes of your question though, to me it comes down to what is your why? If yeah. you are going for endurance and you have an inefficient press, it doesn't make sense to press up if you're going to try to hold for a two-minute hand thing. If, for example, if you don't have a very good forward fold and you have to steal a lot of the press with brute force from the shoulders, it would seem you would probably just want to kick in or straddle in or jump in, right? Yeah. Um, now, what I have students come to me with the goal of a press. Cool, then let's press. And if you don't really care about holding for two minutes but you want to have, because like in a yoga class, you probably wouldn't, there's not going to come a time where you're going to hold a two minute handstand. You're far more likely to be in a, like a forward fold. And then the teacher says, you know, Hey, play time inversions. And if your goal is the press, then work the press. If your goal is endurance, um, and your press is not the most efficient, then, you know, I, I, I think I'm getting a lot softer as, as a coach, just being like, let's figure out your personal whys, your personal goals towards handstand. And just work. Let's just, let's just go isolate. Yeah. Those. Yeah. Yeah. Good answer. I'm I can't cu- believe you remember that. That was that's fantastic. Oh, thank you. I <laughs> I kind of like that answer when you said it because I you know I, I was had this feeling of like okay the ultimate is to do this pike lift and so I, I loved it when you said just get up there like just get up there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. well, here's the deal. If 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 you want to hold for longer, having more time under tension would mean that your body will adapt to being under tension. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so if, if students just want to, when people want to press before they want to learn a straight line handstand, I don't have a problem with that per se. I just, it's not the way I would teach it. Yeah. Cool. I, I would say, you know, Hey, let's like give you a home base to shoot for like handstand. Let's, let's drill that into the body and then we'll teach you how to put your hands down and lift your feet off the ground. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Is there a Guinness Book of World Record time for someone holding in a handstand? I, I've never looked that up, but is there like a it's, endurance? It's all, false. it's all false. So the Guinness Book of Records one-arm handstand just got set by the dude in Ukraine, and then uh, Instagram went crazy because all the hand balancers were like, no, that guy was held for like 59 seconds. Um, one of my friends, Garrett, made a post of him holding for a minute six, no problem. So the, the, what's in the Guinness Book of World Records are the only ones that have been recorded by the Guinness Book of Records. Um, they'll say that, um, I saw a video like a, some kind of, it was on YouTube, like five, five minute handstand. And they're like, ooh, longest handstand ever recorded. There's, uh, there's people in Ukraine that can hold for an hour. Wow. Um, yeah, there's acrobats in Vegas that can hold for an hour. Contortionists can probably hold for longer than that because they can use their body to just stabilize. So whatever's in the Guinness book of world records is not fact. It's just mm. what the Guinness has recorded. Interesting. Yeah. Classic. What's the most hairy and or dangerous or scary thing you've ever handstanded on? Oh man, there was one shoot in particular. <laughs> oh God. Um, it was in, um, Laguna beach. We were out on the rocks. The, um, photographer even told me ahead of time he's like yo i like to kind of push the envelope a little bit um, <laughs> and like, i was like, I was like all right all right, all right. So yeah yeah i was i climbed up onto like this thing must have been a 12 to 15 foot drop on and the rocks were jagged i mean absolutely jagged and i did elbow lever aka croc 
on this giant rock in my hands where like it caused my hand to bleed because the rocks are so sharp. Uh And I looked down in just pure terror because the waves were like crashing in on these super jagged rocks. And I was like, if I fall, I'm going to need to go to the hospital and I don't know how anyone's going to get down here to get me out of here. And I came, I came down after that and I was like, yo, Brian, I'm going to need like a hot second here just to like (laughs) recompose myself. And granted the picture turned out excellent. I hate to say it, but the picture did turn out really, really well. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a big, big hit, but, um, I did, it was, I would never do anything like that these days. I'm more concerned with like actual skills versus hand standing on dangerous surfaces. Yeah. 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 Classic, Kyle. You know, I wonder, do you have access to that photo? I wonder if I could use that photo in the promotion for this podcast. Oh, dude. Yeah. It's, uh, I will, uh, that way, that way, when they listen to this, they'll have the visual image of of that. I will have to do like a little bit of a scroll, a deep dive, um, (laughs) a deep dive, but yeah, it, it exists out there on the internet. It is all over the place. All right. Um, yeah, so I will get that to you for sure. So, um, yeah, it's, it seemed like a big rush at the time. I wasn't really, I don't know. I was just trying to get some cool photos, I guess, for again, so I can look cool on social media to a bunch of people that I don't really know. Right. Right. And, (laughs) and so, um, I did it and, uh, won't, will not do again. I can tell you, tell you that with absolute unequivocal certainty. (laughs) There's something with age, right? We get a little bit wiser. Yeah, like, why do I feel the need to do this? <laughs> yeah. What was I thinking? Oh, dude, I'm telling you. Well, remember the 20s? I mean, come on. Oh, it's yeah. Just, I, it's, I, it's, I would do anything and everything for a thrill in my <laughs> 20s. Now, I, so I'm almost, I turned 40 this summer. Oh, nice. And just never, no, I, I have no ambition to do any of that, <laughs> like, dangerous type stuff. I'm, I'm kind of stoked on this photo now. I really want to find it. Um, so I will, after this call, oh, that's I will cool, man. make sure that, of course, of course. Well, yeah. Kyle, man, I, I so appreciate you taking time out of the day. I was, I, I was really looking forward to, to this chance Me to too, catch up with you and I can't wait to practice with you. I'd love to join in on some of the live sessions that you're talking about and get some feedback and, and keep, uh, getting coached on my handstand and, uh, so right. I have a I have a boot camp thing coming up that I'm doing online. If you're interested, it's the link in my Instagram profile for now. It starts in like starts in about twenty days. Nice. Um, yeah, it's a free online boot camp that I'm doing just for the whole internet and who's ever out there and wants to learn. But um, other than that, maybe I just come back uh, to Florida at some point. That would be amazing too. That's what I was uh, that was my next uh, question. So that would be incredible. Now that things are starting to get more user friendly and. Uh, People are coming out of the woodwork, and uh, right. we'll we'll definitely get you back down here in Florida. Oh, wonderful, my friend! Well, I uh, can't wait for that, um, and I will. Uh, I'll, I'll email you the photo once I dig through the. It's going to be like an infinite scroll for me to find it, but I, <laughs> I I, it's worth it. It's worth the story. So, um, well, thank you for having me on here. I love chopping it up about handstands and business and life and everything. So, I, I appreciate you very much. Thank you, Kyle. Well, I look forward to our next conversation. I wish you a, a good day. Uh, you as well. Have a good one, Todd. All right, man. You too. Later. Bye. Really hope that you enjoyed this conversation, that you enjoyed Kyle's insights and input about the handstand and beyond. Remember to check him out on his website, kylewieger.com. You can check him out on the Instagram. If you go to his website, you're going to see links to all the other different social media sites where you can uh, get some tips, tricks, and training in the handstand world. 
All right. Have a wonderful day. Until next time. Native Yoga Toddcast is produced by myself. The theme music is dreamed up by Bryce Allen. If you like this show, let me know. If there's room for improvement, I want to hear that too. We are curious to know what you think and what you want more of, what I can improve. And if you have ideas for future guests or topics, please send us your thoughts to info at Native Yoga Center. You can find us at nativeyogacenter.com. And hey, if you did like this episode, share it with your friends, rate it and review and join us next time.